welcome back everyone to Authors on the Air. The very handsome gentleman to, sitting next to me is actor, writer, producer, director, probably has, oh, drummer, uh, a descendant of Aaron Burr, um, his first, whose first screenplay was made into a feature film. John Lindstrom, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for that lovely intro. Um, apparently, it's uh, Aaron Burr. It, it had to be one of his siblings or something, because I uh -huh. guess Aaron Burr didn't have kids. But but my cousin dove into that one year, and uh, he's an artist. He lives used to live up at the Central Coast. And I think that's how he would fill his time, was oh, researching our, our family. Yeah. And he came up with that one, and I, I was floored. I had no idea. I said, oh, good. The traitor. <laughs> Which he wasn't. It actually wasn't. It's a much better story than just that. But you, but you know, you're either famous or you're infamous. In your case, both. In my case, both. And I'll take it. Know. I That's like great. having whipped cream on my pecan pie. There you go. <laughs> Very good. Well, listen, I'm thrilled to have just finished reading Hollywood Hustle. Oh, this you. is your first thriller, I think. It is. My very, probably my have a couple, you probably have a couple more in you, too, I bet. Well, I'm struggling through book two, but I am writing it and I'm plotting book three. I love that. I want to talk about your process. It seems to me um, that all of your acting, your screenwriting, your producing and your directing informs whatever it is you put into your book. It, it does. Um, you know, I can safely say and happily so that everything that I have done from when I started as an actor, learning about plays and structure and dialogue and character and motivation and intention and all those things, each one would prepare me for the next step. So I would act and then I learned how to write. And from writing, I learned how to make films. Making films, I learned how to direct. And then from directing, strangely enough, I went into audiobook narration. And all through this, I was acting and always writing. And by the time I got to, to this, um, I somehow felt ready. I felt ready and prepared for it. And uh, it was almost a kind of almost an instinctual thing. So that was my process, really, just living my life. Well, I, I heard you talking on another podcast that you were born in Oregon. You got in a, the old pickup truck and went down to Los Angeles. Was yeah. your intention, other than being an auto mechanic or anything like that, was your intention to become an actor or become it involved? It was. Yes. Yeah, it was. I had studied theater at the University of Oregon. Um, I dropped out after two years, uh, even though I was starting to secure leads in the in the plays at wow. the university, which was, you know, quite a coup in yeah. a way. But I realized that for me, and I don't suggest this to everyone because I think education is very important. Um, but for me, I felt that a college degree in the theater was really nothing more than a teaching certificate. You know, you know, it was the thing to fall back on. And there was something that told me that that road, you had to give it all. And I figured, well, I can always go back to school. Sure. It doesn't work out. I can give myself until I'm 30. And if things aren't moving by then, well, then I'm still young and energetic enough to learn something new and I can go do that. You know, happily for me, I started working regularly when I was 28. 27 or 28. It took me seven years to break in. Now, but did you, were you motivated? I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. 
Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just saying, but I did move to Los Angeles specifically to become uh, uh, an actor who works in film and television. Now, were you motivated? Is it true? I guess I should say first that your dad was an account executive and put you in in some commercials when you were a boy. He was, yeah. He was the advertising manager of the, uh, you know, like the re the regional ad man for the local CBS affiliate, which was KOBI TV Channel Five back then. I think it's a different network now, but. Part of his job was not only to sell time to businesses to buy commercials that would air, he would have to write and produce and direct the commercials. So when I was, I think I started doing that when I was maybe six or seven years old and did it all the way through high school. So I, I, I had an early taste of that walking into school, into a classroom and people going, hey, John, I saw you on the commercial on I Spy last night. How fantastic, though. Yeah, so it, helped it was kind little. of in your DNA, John. Yeah, it was. And my father had actually moved from Minnesota to Los Angeles to be an actor. After he got out of the University of Minnesota with a broadcast degree, he tried his hand in Hollywood. He went to the Pasadena Playhouse School for a while with Shelley Berman. And while Shelley got himself a career, my father never really found it. And so he decided to move north and wound up in Southern Oregon, where he met my mother and had me and my brother. Now, is your brother creative also? He is, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> he is very much so, but in a different way. He's an electronic engineer. And the way his mind works, I just cannot wrap my head around. Yeah, I, one of those zipper heads, I know exactly what you're talking about. Someone who <laughs> speaks a totally different language, you know, they... <laughs> It really is, man. It's zip, like great. zip in the big brain to go to work and then, you know, take yeah. it out when they get home so they can communicate. I get that completely. Um, <laughs> you were also a drummer. I started that early, too. Um, they, par My parents tried to get me to learn piano, which is a percussion instrument. But I, uh, I really was drawn to the drums. I'm not sure why. It was just something about the sound and banging on things. But they bought me a kit when I was about 12, much to their everlasting chagrin. And, uh, and, and I played all through high school and into college. And then I put them down for a long time. And then I met another actor on a show called Santa Barbara, a fellow named Larry Poindexter, who would come in and bring his guitar with him. And he always saw me bringing my drumsticks and practice pad. And he said, hey, we should get together sometime and jam. So we brought some other unemployed actors together. We started playing. We started playing birthday parties and things like that. And then Larry and a couple other guys started bringing in original songs. We worked them up. And I remember we were playing a backyard party one night and the neighbors had called the police, but the police liked it. <laughs> and they sat outside for about a half an hour before and listened, you know, before finally they said, you know, we really should respond to this call. And they came in and shut it down. But there was somebody there who said, hey, you know, there's an open slot at a club on Sunset called The Central every Tuesday night opening for Chuck E. Weiss. How would you guys like that? And we thought, well, The Central, which is now the Viper Room, famous club on Sunset. Back then it was just a dive. Um, and everyone knew who Chucky e. Weiss was. If you've ever heard the Ricky Lee Jones song, Chucky's in Love, that's about mm -hmm. Chucky. E. Right. 
So there was this hour long slot every Tuesday at, from eight to nine before Chuck would come on. And we took it. And people started to come. And back then, this is before anybody was famous, the young actresses who would come to dance and blow off some steams would be Nicolette Sheridan, Apollonia, Jennifer Aniston. Oh, my gosh. Lisa Kudrow, Lisa Rinna, you know, uh, Robin Wright. I mean, the list went on and on. And, of course, all the young guys who wanted to meet them and ask them out would show up and they would buy drinks from the bar. If you've ever been around a club, you know that the money's made at the bar, not from the musicians. So not by the musicians either. Let's, yeah, let's exactly. You're not getting rich playing Tuesday nights for an hour. Right? That's for sure. Yeah. We were doing it for the experience sure. but, um, and to meet some you know, nice young ladies. But uh, we, uh, we, they did well that first night. So they said, you know, absolutely. Why don't you show up every Tuesday here? And that led us to actually being signed by a local record company. And we put out one album called Feel Free to Do So by The High Lonesome. And uh, and we wound up with two songs that hit the Billboard Hot 100 when that was a thing. How fabulous. Yeah, That's and fabulous. totally unexpected, just because we all were, were trying to kill time between our acting jobs. Do you still sit down and drum every so often? Every so often. Right now, the, the kit has been put away, but um, we... <laughs> We of the high lonesome keep threatening to get back together and do something, maybe maybe a one-time gig, uh, maybe just to get together and play together. But, you know, everybody's got kids. Everybody's moved around. It's it's not easy now. It's not the same. It really isn't. And I, I don't really want to play with anybody else. Well, you know, you know, you know your own rhythm. You know your synergy. So why would you want to change it up, right? Yeah. So, so which leads us to... <laughs> Hollywood Hustle by John Lindstrom, a thriller. And boy, you can tell that you're a Hollywood guy. <laughs> right, what you know. What do you know? What do you mean by that, Pam? Well, <laughs> let's talk about Winston Green. Where does Winston oh, come from? Winston is an amalgam of a lot of people that I've known. Uh, Winston, as you learn almost right away in the book is uh, is now living a fairly stable life after putting it all back together, after losing much of it uh, due to a substance, substance abuse, alcohol specifically. Uh, I honestly, Pam, I don't have enough fingers and toes to count all the people that I've known whose lives and careers have just careened a hard left and gone off the rails yeah. due to the, the demons that they carry. I will say uh, now, now that he's gone, uh, God rest, but one of the major inspirations for Winston was the actor Tom Sizemore. Right. Yeah, I remember who, hearing you said that. Boy, he yeah. started off in a brilliant career, didn't he? Just just riveting. I mean, yeah. you, make his, you, you could not take your eyes off his that presence. guy. Presence. Yeah. Not his, everyone has presence, right, John? Yeah, and he just, he just blew through the screen at you. And... And he could hold his own with anybody, right. Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer. It doesn't matter. You know, he he could work with the very best and deliver work that was equal or surpassed theirs. 
I thought he was really on the way to becoming kind of one of the next great tough guys of Hollywood, like in the tradition of, of Bogart, you know, he really had that going. And of course his career crashed and burned for a long time due to his demons. He did get it back to a point where Winston, when we find him is at, but unfortunately Tom passed last year. So, yes. yeah. So that's that's Winston Green in a in a nutshell, a guy who was really brilliant, really, really talented, had a big, strong start, had a very successful time and then lost it all. Now finds himself in a place where he's just hanging on to keeping it together. It's stable. It's somewhat secure. And he wakes up in the morning and his granddaughter's in the room. With a flash she, should drive. Be, she should be half with a flash drive in her hand. She should be down in the flat somewhere. Winston lives in the mountains up in a little village. She shouldn't be there. And she's got a thumb drive that shows him that his daughter's been kidnapped. I want to say this first or ask you first, which comes first, the story or the character? I think in this case, probably the character. Um. I do know when I sit down, I know where I'm going to start and I know where I'm going to end. But that's really almost just conceptual. I know, I, I knew how Hollywood Hustle was going to end. Right. Um, but I didn't know the details. And that's something that just gets to come through your fingers as you follow the story as it's being dictated to you from somewhere else. I think in this case, well, I know in this case, I sat down one morning just having the itch to write and thought of someone like Winston Green and had him wake up in his bedroom and there was this little girl. Who is she? What's she doing there? How'd she get there? There's some guy out there. This is what the guy tells him. The little girl gives him the thumb drive. He makes a call. He can't reach his daughter. What does he do now? And so I, I really just kind of followed it step by step as my fingers guided me. Are you competing for ideas when you sit down to write? Do you mm -hmm. say, oh, I, I've thought about this. I think I want to do this story. But now Winston's sticking my brain. I'm going to go ahead and do him first. And maybe I'll go back to the other story. You know, with, uh, with Hollywood Hustle, the only thing I really wrestled with was some of the characters. The story really did kind of flow out on its own. I did work with an independent editor who helped me cut out a lot of the fat because it being my first book, I did overwrite <laughs> embarrassingly. So, but I I'm having that competition with myself right now, actually on book two mm -hmm. and, it and it has everything to do with the main character. I know what the story is. I know the beginning, I know the end, I know basically what's going to happen in between though. I'm not a writer who puts scene cards on the wall. Sure. I do have a beat sheet. I do write it. I always keep it near me. I can always refer to it because I know beat sheet is just ideas for scenes that I have. And I know I'll get to them. And right. once I get to that point, I either use it or I don't. But it helps me. It helps guide me. So um, book number two is a character-driven book? The, the second one will be a character-driven book, yeah. Almost a character study in a way. Um, but it is unrelated, Unrelated to Winston? He only gets a very small mention. Okay. Um, when I when I was getting this set up through my agent and with Crooked Lane, everybody kept asking me, is this a series? Are we going to see Winston Green again? 
And I said, well, honestly, I think it'd be kind of silly to have a crime fighting actor <laughs> walking around. But then I thought, well, hey, maybe if he goes to question somebody, people ask for his autograph, he gives it to them, and then they divulge whatever they know. But I don't think it's really, um, I don't think that really holds interest. What does hold my interest and what I envisioned was a series about Hollywood as a state of mind, as a place to go to, as a dream, as a brass ring. Um, because this this city, L.A. and Hollywood specifically, is a very beautiful but also very deceptively dangerous place. So that's that's the character that I would want to use in a yeah. series. But to answer your question, the subject of my second book gets a very brief message uh, mention in Hollywood Hustle, and Winston will get a brief mention in the next one as well. I so like the because that, that's part of life here. You intersect, you know, you, we used to go in and see everybody in an audition room. Right. I mean, one of the guys I used to see all the time was Brian Cranston. You go, oh Hey, Brian. hey, John, how you doing? You know, in fact, we started around the same time. We kind of hit around the same really? time. I went in for a commercial. Brian was there along with, you know, 30 other guys that looked just like us. Kevin Sorbo and all, you know, <laughs> these people, you know, you know them. And I got the commercial. I think it was like a Mazda spot or something. Big national network commercial, which is the one you want. Those are the ones that pay. And I got it and I couldn't do it because I had just booked my first work on General Hospital. So this was 1992 and they had booked me for several shows across some weeks. And when you book it, you can't change it. You can't change your mind. You can say, you can put me on hold, but once you say, book me, you're done. So the commercial went to Brian. And I only knew that because I happened to see it. <laughs> and I went, oh, there's Brian. He got the, got the ad up for. And that same year, he got Malcolm in the Middle. So, and I, we've, I think I've run into him twice. Since then. Since then. Interesting. Since then. Um, I was just out in LA visiting my friend whom, whom you know, and um, I, there's such, I want to say a dichotomy, but there's not, there are so many different LA's and obviously Hollywood, like you said, but it's so vast. It's, it's just, mm -hmm. it is a character in your book. Almost LA and Hollywood itself almost has a character role not a location role. And I think you're right. It's a state of mind, isn't it? It is. Um, it is a challenge to live here for all the beauty and, you know, the Pacific Ocean right there. If you surf, great. I mean, this is the only place in the world I know where you really can, because I've done it. You can go skiing in the morning and go surfing in the afternoon. <laughs> you know, where else in the world can you do that? The answer is nowhere. That's true. That's there true. Is, I forgot. Is you are also a scuba diver, aren't you? I'm certified. Yeah. The last time I went, I had an ear problem, so I haven't been back out. Uh, are you still surfing and skiing? Here and there. Yeah. So, well, skiing I do every year. Uh, surfing, my friend Michael, who is a filmmaker from South Africa, you know, learned in Cape Town. He's always bugging me to go out. So every now and again, I break down and go out and fall off a board a lot while he <laughs> catches waves. It's all for fun. It's all. It's for all fun. for fun. It's yeah. character building, John. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll 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 go with that one, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
in your dreams, if this was turned into a film, who would be Winston? Boy, I get asked that a lot these days. Do you really? I do. Yeah. Um, which so I'm happy it, about. It helps us visualize your character. I'm going to say, I see your character different than you see him. So I'm always interested who you visualize as the character and what he sounds like and, and things. When I listen to someone like you who reads from their book, it's such a different experience for me reading the book. Yeah. You know, we all hear and see things and read things in a different way. So that's why I'm curious who, who you would, who are a couple actors who you would like to cast as Winston. Well, I almost want to say, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. <laughs> I don't have it. I don't. You see, don't, I don't have, have one. Okay. Well, don't I forget, think... I haven't been to film and I don't want, I don't own a television in so long. TV, so. I don't know who the actors are these days. I read in a feed about someone and I have no idea who they're talking about. So, <laughs> well, um, uh, as you know, I describe Winston as reminiscent in his early career of Steve okay. McQueen and of yes. Kevin Costner. And in fact, he was pitched in his early years as a young McQueen or the next McQueen, which is how business is done here. You always need something familiar to grab onto. So if I were to look at Winston now, I would say probably the closest to him would be Kevin Bacon. He has this kind of sandy hair. He has the very piercing blue eyes. He's got a lean physique. He knows the ups and downs. He's got a life that's been lived. So he knows how to play it. He's also an incredibly gifted actor. So it would be a blessing to have him. But he was the first one that came to my mind. Somebody else said, uh, just off the top of her head, she said, oh, Nicolas Cage is perfect for that. I thought, you know, yeah, he is. He is. Yeah. He, he is. I personally lean towards Kevin Bacon, but, you know, there's a few guys out there. Yeah, there's a few guys out there. The interesting part to me is going to be casting everybody else. Yeah. Uh, who do we cast as Grover or his wife, Lauren? Yeah. Oh, do, do, you know, are we lucky enough to get an Angela Bassett for that role? Right. She's you perfect. Know. And she does she's police perfect. procedurals anyway. So. And she does. Yeah. She's a badass. So. <laughs> she is. <laughs> you know, but who would play her husband, Grover? I don't know. I don't you know. know. Grover, I don't Grover is, yeah. Grover is based on a real guy. Um, wow. My friend, Manny Perry, who is a, a master stuntman and who was approached on Muscle Beach in Venice back in the 70s. No kidding. To, yeah, to they came over to him and said, uh, "How would you like to be painted green and be Lou Ferrigno's stuntman?" <laughs> so that's how he got in the business. Wow! And now he's one of the heads of Stunts Unlimited. He's one of the most respected stuntmen in the business. I've oh, worked with yeah. him a couple times. That's how I met him. Wow! So I don't want to keep you all day. Yes, I do. I really want to talk to you for a long time. But I'm good. So you can talk as long as you want. I'm having a what great you, time. Oh, thank you. I, I'm so glad. Tell us where your book stops are. You have a couple book stops you're making in LA, don't you? Uh, I do. Yes. Um, we have a launch event on February 7th, the day after the book drops at, and I couldn't be happier about this, the legendary Book Soup on the Sunset Strip. Book Soup has been there as long as I've been in LA. I mean, actually, I think it, I think I might have gotten here a couple of years before, but I learned about it 
because in one of my early acting classes, the founder, Glenn Goldman, was in my acting class. And word got around, you know, Glenn owns Book Soup. Glenn, unhappily, passed away back in 2008 or nine before his time. But he was such an interesting guy. Oh, my God, he was interesting. And, of course, we all wanted to get free books from him, which he would never do. But, um, but, I, learned, but I started going to his store, and it's still there, right where he founded it. It's still there today. And uh, so we're doing that, 7 o'clock, February 7th, at Book Soup. And then February 17th, I'm going to be at the Barnes & Noble over the hill in Glendale at the Americana at Brand shopping center and i'll be there with my friend and terrific author michael easton uh who i know from well i've known michael for years but we're, he's also on general hospital and he's one of the best uh graphic novel authors around oh my goodness how uh, fun don't know that yeah and he wrote he wrote a couple of books with uh, the late peter straub as well He's quite a good writer. So anyway, we're going to have a conversation. He says we're going to he's going to make it all about me, but I have other ideas cuz I got Good for you. It is it's got to be symbiotic there, you know. It's a tit for tat, right? Yeah, so that's Saturday afternoon at 2, February 7th at the Barnes and Noble at the Americana. Fabulous. And then I'm then I'm off to New York and Portland and and it looks like Dallas and Petaluma and you know yeah, I'm all over the place. Well, you're coming. You're not coming in my direction. You're not coming in my direction. There's discussion. I'll send you a list of bookstores around here. Okay. There's some really, oh, and, I'd appreciate and now it. it's the season. It's the season. So you know, it's the season when all our 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 snowbirds come down and visit. So yeah, don't get in the way of my ski time, Pam. You can go. In the, <laughs> you can go in the bay. You can swim around here. It's gorgeous. That's true. I could surf. Yeah. You could well, you can't really surf. I'm not. We're 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 on the river. We're on the Caloosahatchee River, but, ah, okay. but uh, on the bay, on the bay side. But nice. if, there's not really any surf here. Please, you gotta wait for a hurricane to come through and then get some waves. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have a fabulous website that tells all about you. But I'm more particularly interested in reminding our viewers that they can sign up for your very cool newsletter. So Thank you. Yes, right there on the homepage. Give us the give us the hidden web, web address that no one will ever find. JohnLindstrom.com. Goodness gracious. And that's John with no H and Lindstrom with a D. There you go. There <laughs> you go. John's book is going to be available in bookstores everywhere. If you want to shop online, please do. This is his first thriller novel called Hollywood Hustle by John Lindstrom. I highly recommend it. Thank you. Um, John, thank you so much for oh, being here. Oh, this has been a great pleasure. Thank you so much, Pam. Oh, I've had a great time. Listeners, viewers, friends, thanks for, again, and we'll see you next time. And please let me know what you think of the book. <laughs>